the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The text for our sermon is our Gospel lesson. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of the most beloved stories of Jesus' ministry. Even from the earliest days of the church, the five loaves and two fish were a frequent motif, both in Christian art and writing. It's likely one of the first Bible stories you ever learned, whether on your parents' lap or in a Sunday school room or at vacation Bible school, maybe even all three. We have heard the story so many times that it is quite easy to gloss over. The people are hungry. Jesus does his God thing. Everybody eats until they need to loosen their belts. And the disciples have a lot of fish and chips left over. There, the end. Can the sermon be over now? And while it is good and salutary that we are familiar with this narrative, sometimes familiarity can breed laziness. A type of laziness which, instead of being slothfully slow, instead seeks to speed ahead to something else. This is the only miracle of Christ's ministry that is recorded across all four Gospels. And although each Gospel writer brings out different dimensions and details, this miracle was important enough for the Holy Spirit to make sure it was written down four times. Four times! If the Spirit breathed out this account four separate times for us, then we do well to listen and take it to heart, forsaking the presumption that this is simply a story fit only for children. Instead, let us again become like little children and with childlike joy receive this truth. He himself knew what he would do. At the end of a long, hard day of work, the body hungers. Or, at the end of a fast, you might feel famished, even a little disoriented. This is as it should be. Your body and its instincts are a gift from God. It's one thing to know that you need nourishment. It's another thing to acutely feel it. And so, here we are, at the end of a long, hard day of listening to Jesus. His sermons and miracles are so captivating and filled with authority that time slips on by. And when we check the clock, it has definitely been longer than an hour. Evening draws near. It's almost time for supper. Bellies begin to rumble. The pangs of hunger begin to set in. Jesus isn't ignorant of the need for food, nor of the time. After all, he made man and formed him. Each and every person there in that grassy place sitting before Jesus, he knit and put together in their mother's womb. And so, ever so nonchalantly, Jesus said to Philip, 
Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? What kind of question is that, Jesus? You've been preaching, teaching, and performing miracles all day long, and now you're asking about dinner plans? You can almost hear the bewilderment in the disciples' voices. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Not even over half a year's worth of wages would be enough to give each person a bite. And the only thing they have is some kids' fish sandwiches. But what does St. John inform us? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. How many of you have ever been at the end of your rope, not knowing how to make ends meet, when in order to pay the bills, you need to pinch the pennies? How is your paycheck going to meet your family's needs? Food, housing, health care, child care, and the like? And how many of you have ever found or currently find yourself in a situation where the food on your table is meager, where your cupboard is collecting cobwebs instead of cans? That out of necessity, you must find a way to stretch thin like butter spread over bread. Such a small amount of food to feed hungry mouths and aching bellies. In whatever situation you find yourself in, do you ever say, do you ever think, how, Lord, how? I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I only have so much to go around. God, will it all work out? And as we all know, panic and frustration often ferment into anger and dissatisfaction. How often do you find yourself being, instead of like Philip and Andrew, having the grumbling attitude of the Israelites from our Old Testament reading. Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Be honest with yourself. Have you never said aloud let alone grumbled in your heart, God, I don't have enough. Sure, you have given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses. Yes, you have given me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all that I have. But that isn't enough. It doesn't satisfy my desire for my life. 
Dearly beloved, what is the commonality between these two reactions, between the disciples and the Israelites? Their problem is sheer forgetfulness. Their problem is a faith problem. God had already shown that he cared for them by exercising his divine power. In Exodus, he struck unbelieving Egypt with the ten plagues and led the Israelites through the Red Sea on dry ground. And in the Gospels, Christ had only just been healing people before the very eyes of the disciples. And in both instances, despite the obvious miracles of God, his people still do not have faith that he will continue to provide for them. So, whether you grumble with the Israelites or sigh in wistful confoundment with the disciples, or maybe even a little bit of both, the problem that we all face is a trust problem, a lack of faith. We ourselves see and know that God provides for all of our needs, and yet we still find ourselves wanting more. We take for ourselves the right to determine what is enough and isn't enough, instead of leaving it in the hands of the Almighty. But let us turn our minds again to that curious phrase. He himself knew what he would do. You and I are often in a state of panic or a state of anger, not knowing what our next steps will be. Not so for Jesus. For Jesus is the Word made flesh, very God of very God. Only God and God alone is fully in control of all situations. And only God truly knows what he is going to do. And so it was for the multitudes there before Jesus. Jesus knows what he is going to do, and he makes it happen. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. From the very moment that the crowds began to follow him, Jesus knew that this was going to be the outcome. Jesus knew that this was going to happen. He knew that the multitudes would be hungry. He knew the disciples wouldn't know what to do. Jesus is God. Not only did he know that this situation was going to happen, but he himself knew what he would do. Christ all along had planned to exercise there in that grassy place the power of his divinity, giving food in abundance until all had had their fill, even with 12 baskets left over. 
But let us not stop in just understanding that Jesus knew that he was going to miraculously feed 5,000 men plus women and children. That itself teaches that Jesus is God. But what good is that for you here and now, over 2,000 years later? What does that mean for you here and now? God is all-knowing and all-powerful, right? So if that's the case, why did God create the world? Why did God make Adam and Eve, knowing that they would disobey him and plunge their descendants, you and me, into the grips of sin, death, and the devil? Why? You might ask, because he himself knew what he would do. Why did God choose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why, out of all the peoples of the earth, did God elect Israel to be his own when he fully knew that they would repeatedly reject him and go after false gods? Why? Because he himself knew what he would do. Why did the second person of the Trinity leave the glory of his throne, be born of a virgin, and become man? Why did Jesus call the twelve to his side, even Judas? Why did Jesus allow himself to be betrayed into the hands of sinners, mocked, scourged, and crucified? Because he himself knew what he would do. Dear friends, the testimony of the word is clear. St. Peter writes in his first epistle, He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. God knew before the foundation of the world all the evil and sin that would happen. Yet still, In mercy, he created the world, created you and me. And in the eternal council of the Trinity, the plan of redemption had been set. Jesus Christ came into the world for this purpose, to offer himself up for the life of the world. The Son of God by whom all things were made, by whom you were made knows not only your need for food and drink, but more than that, your need for forgiveness. For what good is it to you if you have all the needs of this body and life met, only for you to suffer eternally the fires of hell? At no time was Jesus ever out of control. And at no time was our Lord ever confused 
as to what his mission was. Flee from those who teach you such things, for to say, let alone believe, such about Christ is the doctrine of demons. Jesus Christ came into the world for your sake, to abundantly provide what you lack and to annul the law's condemnation of you. And what is it that you lack? You lack holiness and righteousness. You do not trust in God to provide. Your faith is lacking. Therefore, Christ consecrates you by his holy and precious blood and clothes you in his righteousness. Jesus pours out the Spirit upon you, that by the Holy Spirit working in and through the Word, you might come to believe and trust that God is your Father, who gives you all that you need. And why does the law condemn you? Because you break the commandments. Because you Sin. The soul who sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. Therefore, Christ goes to the cross for your sake. There, Jesus takes upon himself your punishment and death and gives you his own glory and life. As it says in 2 Corinthians, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. By living a perfect life of obedience under the law, Jesus fulfills it for your sake. And by giving you his perfect obedience in exchange for your transgressions, Christ cancels out the law's condemnation of you. And even there, upon the tree, he himself knew what he would do. For as our Lord says in John chapter 10, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Your Savior knew that the grave would not be the end. Even there, bleeding and dying on Good Friday, Christ knew that Easter morning would dawn, that the power and sting of death would be eradicated. Jesus knew that on the third day he would rise for your justification and forgiveness. And he knows that he will raise all you who believe in him to everlasting life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus provides. 
Jesus gives you all that you need. The Lord Jesus is your shepherd and satisfies every longing and want. He lays you down, not in a grassy place by the Sea of Galilee, but in the green pastures of his church. Here, Jesus forgives you all your sins. Here, you see the baptismal font, which calms the chaos of your tumultuous heart. Here, he feeds your heart with his word. Here, he places into your mouth and upon your tongue his very own body and blood to strengthen and to comfort you. Truly, you can say in the words of our introit, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. If your Jesus, your Savior, exercises his power in such wondrous ways as to forgive you all your sins, give you salvation from death and hell, and give you eternal life in his name, will he not also take care of you here in this life? Christ cares about you, body and soul. He does not neglect either, but promises that your heavenly Father will provide and that he gives good things to those that ask of him. Dearly beloved, call upon God in every trouble, knowing that he will take care of you. Pray with joy. Give us this day our daily bread, knowing that God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. But we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. So then, what have you to worry about? What have you to fear in life and in death? in body and in soul. For this life and for the life to come, entrust all into Jesus' nail-pierced hands. For he knows your every need, and from before all things, he himself knew what he would do. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please stand as.